like most uncomfortable position in a strange way. Um, I would ask you to turn in your... Anybody need a Bible? Anybody out there that need a Bible? Any Bible? Anybody out there? Anybody? No? All right. Um, we good? Tell me when we're good. Turn in your Bibles to in two places, please. Good. Exodus chapter 23 and John chapter 14. We'll be in Exodus 23 first and John chapter, then John chapter 14. Exodus 23 in one hand. Second book of the Bible, John chapter 14 in your second hand. And uh, if you got another hand, just give yourself a hand. All right. Exodus, I've used that joke way too many times. Um, all right. Exodus 23, verse number 20. I got to stand up. All right. You there? Say amen. Amen. Okay. Exodus 23, verse 20. The Bible says, God speaking to his nation. He says, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Now, in the Old Testament, that's where we are in Exodus, the church in the wilderness had a place prepared for them. Amen? And the angel of the Lord, that's what he's talking about there, went before that nation to bring Israel into this place. And that promised land was what God's people had been longing for. They wanted that rest. They wanted that kingdom. They wanted that place that this angel had gone ahead of them to prepare. Now go to John chapter 14. Let's go to our New Testament. Now, in our New Testament, the church in this wilderness, because this is a dry and thirsty land, God called the church in the wilderness, He called those, those Jews that had come out of Egypt, huddled together around Him, He called that a church. Uh, they weren't the body of Christ, but they were a called out assembly. That's what the word church just means. It means somebody kind of taken out of something else to follow God. So in the Old Testament, the church in that wilderness had a place prepared for them. Well, in the New Testament, the church in this wilderness has a place prepared for us. John chapter 14, verse number one, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. You see the parallels? The angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, he says, my angel is going to go before you to prepare a place and bring you into it. In the New Testament, the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, he's saying here, I'm going to go on before you to bring you, my church, into this place that I'm preparing for you. And our promised land is what God's church is supposed to be longing for today. Amen. 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 But here's the big difference. Unlike the nation of Israel, our place is not an earthly kingdom. The Jew is waiting for something down here. We're waiting for an earthly kingdom. We're waiting for a heavenly home. 
That's what we're longing for. That's what we're looking for. That's the place that he's preparing for us. You see, there's three destinations. The Jew will inherit the earth. The Gentiles will populate the new heavens. But our home, church, is New Jerusalem. That is the place Jesus Christ is preparing for his bride. And so I'd like to tell you today, if you're saved, there is a place prepared for you. And I'm not talking about the body. We talked about that the last time we were in here. I'm talking about that new Jerusalem. I'd like to talk about the title, I guess, is a place prepared for you. A place prepared for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you today. We thank you today, Father. We just pray you'd uh, help us, Lord. Help me be able to preach today, Father. Give me strength physically and spiritually, Lord. Help your people to be encouraged and to receive what you'd have them hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I'd like you to stay right there in John chapter 14. I got a couple of things I like to say about this here. Number one is I like to tell you about the confidence that you can expect in this place. The confidence. You sat down today, you know, when you kind of have something done to you, you kind of take a step, you know, you lose that that, that confidence, you know, when you, you're walking a little bit, you know, you kind of wake up every day and you're wondering if you'll be able to, to move a little bit, right? But you know what? When it comes to heaven, I should say rather, when it comes to New Jerusalem, when it comes to the home and the place that Jesus Christ is preparing for you, there is a confidence that you can expect in this place. I'll tell you why. Number one, John 14, verse two. Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You know why you can have confidence in this place? Because Jesus Christ told you so. Jesus Christ told you so. That should be enough. I should be able to close my Bible right there, go home and shout amen until he comes to take me home right there. But I got a little bit more in the tank for you to kind of rev your engine a little bit. But right there, the fact that Jesus Christ so graciously says, if it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, I'm not a punk. I'm not a politician. I'm not trying to cut the mustard or dip the colors or try to trick you. I'm telling you straight up, my disciples, I'm leaving you. I know your hearts are breaking. I'm telling you, I'm getting something ready for you. And I'm coming back to bring you there. If it were not so, I would have told you. Right? That, that's, that's your gracious God. That's, that's your loving Savior. You know what Titus 1-2 says? It says, God cannot lie. Amen. You know that? Right? Can God do anything? People say, yeah! You know what I say? No. God can't do anything. God can't age. God can't learn. God can't sin. And God can't lie. Can God make a rock so heavy he can't lift it? I don't know, but he can make a rock so heavy you can't lift it. So just stop with your silly questions, okay? Right? Hebrews 6.18 says, It was impossible for God to lie. That means God couldn't lie even if he tried. It'd be like me trying to dunk. No matter how much I try, I'm not throwing it down, you know? So guess what? God could try to lie. He wouldn't, but he can't. It's impossible. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Now, you believe people, don't you? Right? If you believe me, when I tell you something, meet tomorrow to go to the parade, you'll show up there expecting it to be true. 
If you believe me, a man who lies, why wouldn't you believe the Lord Jesus Christ who never lies? And it's impossible for him to lie. Did you forget, look at verse number six of your text there. Did you forget that Jesus Christ is the truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whose fault is it then that you doubt this place? It's not God's fault. It's my fault. It's your fault. So reason number one why you can have confidence is because, hey, Jesus Christ told you so. But let's go on. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. I'll give you a reason number two why you can have confidence. You can be confident in this place because Jesus Christ showed you so. He told you so, and then he showed you so. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, the Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared. See that word prepared? The things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You can be confident in this place because Jesus Christ showed you so. Now, the Lord told you there were some things out there that he was preparing for you. Now, when you read that verse, is it just intangibles? I know he prepared truth for you and and, and all these things are talked about in 1 Corinthians 2. But are those the only things he's talking about? He's just talking about intangible things like truth and love and hope and peace. Go to Colossians chapter 3. What are some of those things? Colossians chapter 3 that he's preparing for us. Colossians chapter 3, please. Philippians, Colossians 3, verse number 1. You there? Say amen. amen. If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Let me tell you something. If you're saved, God told you there was some things up there that you should be seeking. There are some things up there. It's not just stuff like truth and hope and peace. God says he's preparing some things. And you're supposed to seek some things. Where? Up there. There are some things. I'm so nervous my voice cracked. There are some things up there that you and I are supposed to be looking forward to and anticipating and maybe trying to wrap our mind around that our gracious heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ is preparing for them that love him. Do you love him today? Amen, amen. Now let's go look at some of those things, shall we? Let's go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Let's go over to Revelation 21. And in Revelation 21, the Lord shows you what he already told you. He told you so. Then in Revelation 21, he shows you so. Now, I'm not an artist. I can draw glorified stick figures. But you know what? It's hard to picture this, I know, because nobody has ever seen anything like this. It has never entered into the heart of man. Nobody's ever conceived something like this. But you could try. People have drawn this. People have painted this. People have tried to visualize this. It's tangible. You see verse number 10? 
It says in verse number 10, he carried him away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city. This is a real place, man. It's called the city. You know what a city is? A city, definition, it's a city. A city is where you have a large number of houses or people living in one place. We're all going to be in that one place. That's why God calls it a city. Not for its skyscrapers, but for all the saints of God that are going to be gathered there. Verse 11 says, I'm not going to read it, but you can look at it. Verse 11 says, this city has lights. Like a lot of cities are lit up. Verses 12 to 14, if you read it along while I'm talking, says this city has architecture. It's got walls and gates and foundations. You read verses 15 to 17, you see this city has dimensions that you could measure. Dimensions that you could lay out. It's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. It's not like some fluffy thing. You could lay it out. If you had a tape measure long enough, you could measure how big this city's going to be, how big it's going to be. Verses 18 to 21, it tells you that this city is made of some amazing building materials, some things that you and I would never think to build with, but some building materials nonetheless. Folks, the Quran says that paradise, I'll give you a quote, Paradise is, quote, an abundance of bliss and the glories of a great kingdom. You know what that sounds like to me? What is that? What what does a great kingdom look like? What does an abundance of bliss look like? Can you measure an abundance of bliss? Can you lay a tape measure down and snap a chalk line to make sure that abundance of of, of bliss is square? No. That's fluffy religious talk. That's like fluffy religious speak. That's like saying peace be unto you, right? It means nothing. It's fluffy talk. Mormons talk about you. Mormons, uh, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, which is, I don't know what that means, but um, they say that uh, this coming kingdom is there that there are degrees of happiness that you can strive to achieve in the coming kingdom. What does that mean? Are we going to play shoots and ladders up there and I hope I can get to the celestial kingdom or the terrestrial kingdom or the celestial kingdom? It's like a tea, celestial seasonings. I don't even know what's going on with all that stuff. You know, it's like, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. But your Bible describes a real place, a literal place that you can draw that you could take to somebody and say, can you lay this out in a computer-assisted design? You could visualize it. You could find those materials that they might use to build it because it's a real place prepared for you that you can have some confidence in. Number two, Revelation 21. I said there's a confidence you can expect in this place prepared for you. Number two, I like to talk about the character you will enjoy in this place prepared for you. There's a confidence that you can expect in this place. And there's a character or quality you'll enjoy in this place. I'll show you the first one right here in in Revelation 21.2. It says, And I, John, saw the holy city. Verse number uh, 10. Right? Go down to 10. Uh, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy 
Jerusalem. You seeing it? The first aspect of this city God wants you to know is it's a holy city. If God is holy, don't you think he's preparing, the city he's preparing will also be holy? Now, I'm an English teacher. I I used to be. I got to get back to it soon. But um, Edgar Allan Poe, heard of him? Writer Edgar Allan Poe wrote The Raven, wrote, you know, Fall, the House of Usher, the Cask of Montiato, Mask of the Red Death, Black Cat, the Bells. You know, I know way too many titles by this guy. But you know one thing Edgar Allan Poe's works all have in common? They're dark and depressing. Because Edgar Allan Poe, nobody reads Edgar Allan Poe and go, walks out smiling. Annabelle Lee about his wife who died in the sea. It's like, oh my goodness, Edgar. You know, it's just like, you ever see a picture of Edgar Allan Poe? He looks miserable. Looks like he hasn't been outside or eaten any red meat in about two years. He just looks absolutely miserable. He just looks miserable. His eyes are withdrawn. He wrote about death. He wrote about dismay. He wrote about horrible things. He was a dark dude. And that dark dude wrote about dark things. Because he was a dark dude. His work, his art was a manifestation of who he was. Revelation 21, 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it, meaning the city, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. The Lord is preparing a place for you that is pure, that is clean, that is holy. That's a manifestation of God. Because God is clean, God is pure, and God is holy. So the place that he's preparing is going to be clean and pure and holy. Are you longing for a place like that? All right, I know not not everybody's here today, but i got to at least get some of you. Aren't you longing for a place that is pure, that's holy, that's uncontaminated by sin? I'm looking forward to a place like that. I'm longing for a place like that. I'm longing for a place... Where no one's trying to groom your children with their perversion. I'm looking forward for a place like that. Where where people could just run off and not have to worry about anything like that. I'm looking forward for a place where no one's trying to enslave you with their doublespeak. With their talk out of both sides of their mouth and telling you it's for your safety or for your convenience or for your benefit. When anybody says that to me, I just hold on to my wallet and back away slowly. I'm looking forward to a place where nobody's trying to trap me, nobody's trying to trick me, and nobody's trying to hurt me. I'm looking forward to a place that is just as pure as God himself. A holy city to call home. Not to visit. Not to frequent. Not to be there for a little while and have to go back to our usual grind. No, home. Home. Forevermore. Home. A holy city to call home. That's the first thing I see about this city. Can you go to Revelation 21? Look at verse number two. Let me show you something else about this city. It says right there, it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. Can I tell you also this city being prepared for you was called New Jerusalem? You know why? It's New Jerusalem. I know many reasons, but here's one reason why. It never gets old. Amen. Here, look at Revelation 11. Look, just flip a few pages to the left. Revelation 11. I'm trying to encourage you today. You pray that I could be encouraging. Right? 
Revelation 11.8. You know the old Jerusalem down here? It rots because of sin. You know that? It rots because of sin. You know what the Lord calls it? He says, he's here talking about the old Jerusalem during the Great Tribulation. He says, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. The old Jerusalem down here is rotting. God calls the old Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt in the Great Tribulation. Now, if you have only read your Bible once, you know Sodom and Egypt are not good places. God destroyed Egypt, brought the plagues upon Egypt, and God smoked Sodom. He burned it with fire and brimstone because their sin was so great that it came up to him and made him so sick. And God says, that city, Jerusalem, where our Lord was crucified, is so decrepit and so vile. The city where Jesus Christ walked the streets was the city they called for his blood. He says, that old Jerusalem, that earthly Jerusalem, is no better than Sodom and Egypt spiritually. You know why? Because sin is just working itself out. And by the time we get into the Great Tribulation, in about five or ten minutes, guess what? That city will have been so rotten and so putrid and so full of sin that God just says, i got to give you a new one. Because that old one is beyond reform. That old one is just miserable. And the Jerusalem coming down out of heaven will never age. It'll never lose its shine. It'll never decay. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. You know, you can visit some vacation. I, I forgot how nice it is to sit in the chair. You can visit some. You can visit some vacation spots once, twice. Maybe you got that spot you go to once in a while. But I guess if you went there every day of every year for the rest of your life wouldn't feel so much like vacation anymore. We'd get kind of old, wouldn't it? Revelation 21.5, can you go there? Revelation 21.5. What did the Bible say in Revelation 21.5? The Bible says, And he that sat upon the throne, that's not me, he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You know when the Lord makes something new? Never fades. Amen. Never gets old. Right? You got an old book, and the Lord can find you new stuff in it every time you read it. Amen. We told an old story, and yet new names are getting written down in glory every time we tell it. Right? We sing the old hymns, but they can be new every morning because of God's faithfulness. You know what? God makes all things new. You know what He can do with a place like Jerusalem or even a name like Jerusalem? He can make something new and bring it down out of heaven. Only the Lord Jesus Christ could prepare a place where things are always new, things are always fresh, things are always exciting. That's your home, folks. That's what's waiting for you. That's what he's preparing. Revelation 21, 25. Look at that. Let me give you number, th- uh, number two. I got number three over here. Another thing about this place. Then I'll move on to my last point. Revelation 21, 25. All right. Last thing I want to say about this, and this I like a lot. 
It says, and the gates of it, meaning that city, shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. The city being prepared for you is full of light. There is no darkness. There is no night. Literally drop the mic. Literally drop the mic so everybody in the recording could hear that. I am like a I am like a fidget meister. I want to sit, I want to stand. I have dreams of running. It's very strange. I'm in my bed kicking my wife, running in my dreams. But anyway, um, can you imagine a city where there's no darkness? They say San Francisco is a hellhole right now. There's feces on the street, needles on the sidewalk. <laughs> New York City is not far behind. <laughs> I mean, people getting attacked in subways. And stuff. I know they want to tell us, you, know, you people make too much of it. No, I have eyes that can see and a mind that works, all right? I don't think I'd take the subway if you paid me to take it right now. Um, but you know what? There's a city up there that God's preparing that's always light, right? You know, it says the gates are not shut. You lock your doors at night for fear of intruders. Bad men, bad women, bad man women. I don't even know what to say anymore. Bad Z's, right? Um, Mischief makes us lock our doors at night. But the Bible says right there in Revelation 21, 25, that there's no night in this city. So there's no fear for your safety. So what does verse 25 say? Those gates are never shut. You're not worried about anybody getting in that can't get in or shouldn't get in. You're not worried about anybody getting out that's not supposed to get out. Everybody's there and everybody wants to be there and everybody's supposed to be there. It's a city that's always light. Look at verse number 10 again. Let me show you something else about it. Verse number 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light. The city was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. You know, they call Paris the city of light, but Paris can't hold a candle to my home. And I'm talking about my home. I'm going to live in this city. This city is where I'm going to hang my hat for eternity. And her light is the same as a precious stone. You say, what kind of stone? Like a jasper stone. You know what color jasper stones most commonly are? Red. I wonder, does the Lord want some people to remember the blood up there? That that light might even have some red in it? Like a jasper stone? Anybody saved by the blood? Amen. All right, I'm in the right crowd. It says it's as clear as crystal. You know what that crystal does? It causes the light to dazzle, to sparkle, to glow. Man, can you just picture this? Just a light, maybe with a hue of red in it, that's just glowing and dazzling and sparkling. That light's like a precious stone. Verse number 23, it says, verse number 23 says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Can I tell you, the light of the city is not just a precious stone. 
Light of the city is a precious Savior. It's a Savior who outshines the sun. He's the one that lights this city. The Bible says, this then is the message we have heard from the beginning. God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. The light of this world spiritually is Jesus Christ. You know what? He's going to be the light of, he's going to be the light of your home eternally. Amen. He's the light of the world, right? We've got a sign out there. He's the light of the world. Amen. Spiritually. But literally, He's going to be the light of your city. Amen. He's going to be a light for you eternally. Forever and ever. I hope you're using Him to light your way now. It would be silly not to use Him now. Silly not to let His light guide your way now. Because one day He's going to light up that whole place. You're not going to be able to hide from His light one day. Revelation 21, 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, that city. Brethren, the light of this place is as a precious stone it comes from a precious Savior, and the light of this place will be a precious satisfaction. That light's going to shine out, and the nations are going to walk in that light. They're going to bask in that light. Brethren, we had some nice weather the last few days, amen? Unless you're weird, doesn't it feel good to get some sun? Doesn't it feel good to bask in the light? You know, just to go out there and feel that light on your face and that light on your skin, that light on your eyes. What a day that will be when nations that have come out of darkness, that have come out of tribulation, are going to walk in His light. Can you picture that? Can you fathom that? How good that's going to feel? How satisfying that's going to be to walk in the light of that Savior, that precious stone? No need for sunscreen. No need for cover-ups. No fear of melanoma. Just peace and safety and the presence of Jesus Christ forever and your basking in that presence. Amen. Wow. 1 Thessalonians. Can you go to chapter 5, please? 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. First Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5. Bible's talking to Christians, amen? It's talking to you. He said, God, are you talking to me? Yeah, he said, I'm talking to you. Right? Ye, that means all of you. Ye are all. That's like double emphasis, right? Ye are all the children of light. And the children of the day. That goes back to Genesis chapter 1. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So if you're saved, let me hear an amen. amen. Okay. If you're saved, you're a child of light. Amen. Children of light, that expression appears four times in your Bible. Children of light should be longing for that light, shouldn't you? Amen. 
Your children of the day, shouldn't you like the sun? S-U-N, I mean S-O-N, right? Shouldn't you like the sun and walking in the sun and walking in his light? Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me show you another one of those mentions. We'll just walk them backwards here about you children of light. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, For this ye know, Ephesians 5, 5, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with with vain words. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye, there it is again, all of you, were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If you're a child of light, shouldn't you be longing for God's eternal day? Shouldn't you be looking forward to this place that's full of light? How about John chapter 12? Let me show you one more. John chapter 12. Here's another one. John 12, 35. John 12, 35. You there? Amen. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Speaking about himself. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light that you may be children of light. Now, if you're not saved here today, you know you got saved? You got saved by believing in the light. You've never seen the light. But spiritually, the Bible says His Word is a light unto your, unto your feet, a lamp unto your, a light unto your path, a lamp unto your feet, and a light unto your path. Guess what? The Word of God is a light. The commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, the Bible says. And you hear the light. God sends the light. You believe the light. You know what happens when you believe the light? You become children of light. Even though you've never seen it. You've never laid eyes on it. You've only just tried to picture it, fathom it, seeing it in paintings, seeing it in, 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 in drawings, seeing it in chick tracks, seeing it in your mind's eye. But if you believe in the light, don't you want to see the light? Aren't you looking forward to a day... When your faith we made sight, and you'll look. You know, you can't look directly at the sun. It'll mess your eyes up. But when God gives you that new body, you're going to look right into the sun and see him face to face. Luke chapter 16, here's the, here's the first mention of children of light. Luke chapter 16, look at verse 8. Luke 16, 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Ain't that a tragedy? That Jesus Christ had to say, you know what? Lost people sometimes are wiser than you are. You're supposed to be children of light. You're supposed to be children of the day. My question is, what makes them wiser than us sometimes? Well, if you're going to walk in that light tomorrow, are you walking in that light today? 
You see, the children of this world, they get ready for everything. They get ready for storms that'll never happen. They get ready for retirements that may never come. They get ready for all kinds of stuff. They try to exercise some worldly wisdom. Amen? And God says those people are worldly wise and they're wiser sometimes than you guys because you know you're going to meet God. You know you're going to go to that home. You know you're going to see Jesus Christ. You know you're going to walk in that light and you're not getting ready for it. Children of light, you're going to this city. You're going to this home. You're going to leave this behind one day. I'm not hastening it. I'm not saying it's coming tomorrow. I want to see what the parade's like, right? But you know what? It's going to come. It's going to come. He's going to come. It isn't a cunningly devised fable. I'm not talking about abundance of bliss and degrees of happiness. I'm talking about 1,200 furlongs. I'm talking about walls on the east and the west and the north and the south. I'm talking about foundations that are this thick, made of this stuff. I'm talking about all this stuff going on. It's as real, it's more real than where you live right now. He says, children of light, children of the day. You were born of that day. When God divided that line, he said, I call the light day and the darkness night. And you're children of that day. You're children of God. You're going to live in this city. You getting ready? You thinking about it at all? You living in that light? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, He's in the light. Are you walking in the light? You were sometimes darkness, but now, I wonder what that means. But now means now. Are ye light in the Lord? Walk as children of light. Believe in the light. You're children of light. The lost are smarter than you are. That's what Jesus said. What a tragedy. Wouldn't it be a tragedy for some lost person to find out you were saved and be surprised? I'm not saying you got to hand the track to every single person at the job. I didn't say that. But should your character and your behavior and the way you carry yourself be such that somebody would say, that makes sense. Are you living... Monday to Saturday, like you're in the dark still, and then you come in here and we turn the lights on. That's why sometimes you're a little like, oh, oh, uh, oh, uh, because you're not used to the light. Walk in the light. Walk as children of light. Finally, I'll get off that. I know I'd like to stay there for a little while. Some of you are hoping I'll feel pain, so I stop preaching on that. Revelation 21. I talked about the confidence you can expect in this place prepared for you, the character you'll enjoy in this place prepared for you, and finally, Revelation 21, how about the crowd you will encounter in this place prepared for you? Revelation 21, 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven 
which had, uh, blah, blah, blah. and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. That's you. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. It showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Can I tell you, folks, that new Jerusalem is the home of the bride. So much so that this city is synonymous with you. He says, you want to see the bride? You want to see the lamb's wife? And he takes them to a city. Now, you're not the city, but you're so associated to that city that that's where he brings this guy. That's where he brings John to see the bride. You know, a home, especially ladies, I'm I'm preaching about you. A home is often a reflection of its homemaker, right? The lady who lives there, you know. A guy, we just need four walls and a roof, Right? I mean, sleep on the floor, if it, just throw a mat down. Um, you know, place where there could be food to eat that you don't have to cook. You know, that's what I, My wife's like, you don't know how to cook. I'm like, I know how to work the microwave like everybody else in here. You know, but you know, it's just, that's a guy. But that lady moves in there, and then there's, then there's knickknacks. I thought that was just a... I thought the decor, right? They go to places like Home Goods and see possibilities. You know, I didn't know that part of the wall needed that thing there, or that table. Oh, we have a table now. That little, the corner needs a table, and the table needs a a knickknack on it. First world problems. But you know, and then the play starts to take on the quality of that lady. It starts to take, you know, you, you say, you walk into the house and you say, oh, you know, I see you in here. Like, I see, you know, your style in here. Folks, New Jerusalem is so associated with Christ's bride because you live there. You live there. Hey, you want to see the bride? He takes you to a city because... That's your habitat. That's your home. That's where you abide. You see Revelation 21, verse 2 there? It says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, Jesus Christ has been getting this home ready for 2,000 years. Just two days to him. It's been like an eternity for us. But he's getting it ready the same way a bride gets ready. Prepared. And that bride, you know, that alarm clock goes off. Beep, 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 beep. I mean, the team comes in. And you know what happens. I joke about it a lot, but you know what happens. They come in with their jackhammers and their spackle and their paintbrushes. And they start, you know, going to work buffing and spackling and, you know, just, you know, just primping and perming and teasing and tinseling and glittering and perfuming and spritzing. You know what? They want that lady to look better than she did before. And that city is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That city is going to be the most beautiful thing you've probably ever laid eyes on next to Jesus Christ. He's getting it ready. Why? To make it look gorgeous. It's not going to be like the man cave, you know, with the mini fridge 
and the futon and the bags of chips on the floor. That's the man cave, right? No, this thing is going to be prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. So when you look upon it, it's going to take your breath away. You know, because when you get married, right, before the wife moves in, after the wedding, after the wedding, right before the wife moves in, you try and get that place ready for her. You know, I, my wife and I, we, we, we got married in September. We got an apartment around July, and I moved in there. And, you know, I would try to, you know, we'd try to get people in there, try to make it look nice, because you want, you know, when you're moving in there, you want it to look as best as possible. What must this place look like if the Savior himself has had all this time to prepare it for you? He's preparing it for you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. If me, a dingbat who doesn't know how to stand or sit right, if me, a dingbat, knows to clean the place up, make it look nice, she likes it like this, she wants it like that, if if I know to do that, what must your bridegroom be doing right now? What must this place look like when the wedding is over and you cross into your heavenly abode, I mean, it's, it's going to have to take your breath away. I imagine it would just take your breath away for an eternity, no? But here's a, here's a question I want you to leave you with. And I, I got just one last thought here. See, Revelation 21, 2, the, the place is called New Jerusalem. I know, I know we're talking about New Jerusalem, and sometimes we use this interchangeably for heaven. Inter- New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, all right? I'm talking about a specific place. I'm not talking about heaven per se. I'm talking about your heavenly home, that New Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven for the church, the bride. Now, here's my question, and I'll answer it out loud. I just want you to think about it. What is the New Testament church doing living in a city called New Jerusalem? As Jewish. I'm a Gentile. What am I doing living in a city like that? Go to Genesis 24. I'm going to give you a little clue. You know why some people say, oh, that's not for you. That's not for the church. That's Jewish. Nah, you're, you're wrongly dividing your Bible, sir. You're getting a little hyper. You're getting a little hyper dispensational on me now. Good to divide it out, but don't get so hyper, cut it up, where you, you cut it up so much that you dice it to pieces. There's a reason why the church, the body of Christ, lives in New Jerusalem, all right? City of peace. Um, Genesis 24 is a great picture. Genesis 24 is a picture of Isaac getting his bride. It's Abraham, a type of the father, sending out a servant, a type of the Holy Spirit, to get a bride for Isaac, a type of Christ, who happens to be a Gentile named Rebecca, a type of you, the church. And watch what happens at the end of this journey, Genesis 24, 63. It says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. Can I tell you, brethren, that... Isaac goes out into the field to kind of think and look and wait at the end of this journey. He goes out there into the world to receive Rebekah. 
field is the world. I wonder, what do you think Isaac was thinking about when he stepped out into the field to meditate? Do you think he was looking with anticipation for that camel train to come? You think he was looking with longing for his bride to show up? If Isaac's a type of Christ, what do you think Jesus Christ is thinking about right now? He's thinking about you. He's thinking about his beloved. He's thinking about his bride. He's thinking about that day when the father says go and he steps out into the world, steps out into the atmosphere to just receive you unto himself. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's keep looking at the picture here, okay? Verse 64. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. And that's not like she wasn't smoking a cigarette. All right. All right. For she had said unto the servant, that's not my joke, all right? That's not my joke. Right, somebody said that a long time ago. All right, it's like the guys, it's like you know, what, you know what car the apostles drove, right? They were all in one accord. Sorry, no. Anyway. Bad, bad. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. All right? For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. At the end of her journey, the Gentile bride meets her Isaac. You see the picture? They've had this long journey. Isaac steps out, and she sees him. Puts that veil upon her face. Now verse 66. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. The servant, who's been there the whole time, gives the report. Yikes. (laughs) That Holy Spirit that's been with you the whole time, he's going to give a report at the judgment seat of Christ about your journey. But here's what I want you to see in verse 67. It says, And Isaac brought her, meaning Rebekah, into his mother Sarah's tent. And took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The bridegroom brings his bride into his mother's tent. You're living in a city called New Jerusalem. Jewish. Sarah, according to Galatians chapter 4, Sarah represents Jerusalem. And Isaac brings Rebekah into Sarah's tent. Isaac, a type of Christ, brings Rebekah, a type of the Gentile church, into Sarah's tent. Sarah pictures and represents Jerusalem. In Genesis chapter 9, God makes a prophecy. He says, God shall enlarge Japheth, And he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Like Hebrew, like like, um, Abram was a Shemite. The Jews are Shemites. Don't be anti-Shemitic, right? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, right after the crucifixion in 53, God tells Israel in Isaiah 54, verse 2, Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. He says, hey, Israel, stretch out your tent. You got to let somebody else in. 
And the church is going to dwell in the tents of Shem forever. A city of peace. A city she doesn't deserve. Verse number 12. Revelation 21, verse number 12. uh, Revelation 5, 9. I'm sorry, Revelation 5, 9. Revelation 5, 9. Revelation 5, 9. What a day that will be. Oh, no, Revelation 21. Revelation 21. A city with all this Jewish imagery. It's all Jewish. 12 gates, 12 this, 12 that, 12 this, 12 that, 12 this, 12 that. All these 12s. A city with Jewish imagery she has no business being in. She doesn't belong there. And your eternal home is going to be an eternal reminder that you are there because of God's grace, folks. You don't belong there. You're not supposed to be there. But you're there in this city of peace because of God's unmerited favor on you. In Revelation 5.9, what a day that will be. If you want to look at it, Revelation 5.9, what a day that will be when you join that chorus that says, Thou art worthy. What a day that will be to join in a chorus with an undeserving crowd. Amen? You're going to join in that chorus. What a day. And then my last verse, Revelation 21, verse 22. Revelation 21, verse 22. Revelation 21, verse number 22. It says, And I saw no temple therein, For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Not what a day that will be just to be with that undeserving crowd, but what a day that will be when we all enjoy perfect communion with Jesus Christ in that place prepared for us. Won't need a temple. Won't need a way to get to God. He'll be right there with you. There's a song that goes like this, and I'll just read it. He stood beside the gate of heaven waiting to go in. And he wondered how this holy place could take a man like him. With shouts of great rejoicing and with music, then they came. Of the angels standing by him, he asked what could be their name. These are the company of prophets, the goodly fellowship of souls, who spake God's word with faith and boldness, who blessed the poor and made the wounded whole. Oh, he fell upon his knees and cried, I am not one of these. He waited till another band of shining ones drew nigh. They entered into heaven with a hallelujah cry. He asked again, who are these? Can you tell me whence they came? He seemed to see the answer in a burning tongue of flame. These are the company of martyrs, the mighty fellowship of saints. Knew our Lord and walked beside him, who ran the holy race and did not faint. Oh, he fell upon his knees and cried, I am not one of these. Then suddenly a multitude was heard from far away. Their voices rang with songs of joy like children at their play. He saw Eli, he saw Danny, Mary Magdalene and Paul, and the thief who died by Jesus was the one who led them all. Who are these? He almost shouted with the angel. These are the sinners saved by grace. The host of them who called upon the Savior, washed in the blood and justified by faith. 
And oh, he leaped upon, up from his knees. I can go in with these. And I can go in, for my heart is free from sin. I've been washed in the blood, everlasting life to win. I can rejoice. I can lift up my voice. I can sing. And I can go in. This place we read about today, I can go in. Can you? Can you? Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you today. We pray, Lord, if there's anybody...